Hello, and welcome back to the Black Valor Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie M. Parks, and I have another good show for you this week. We're going to be looking at Kathy Williams, the first female Buffalo Soldier. But before I get into the episode, I would just like to cover some things. I mentioned last week that the Tuskegee Airmen Picture Collection is going to be up on the site, and I will get that up there, maybe as you're hearing this podcast, but definitely this next week. Also, I'm going to be redesigning the site a little bit. I want to have each podcast on its own page, so on the main page, you'll see a link to each episode, but then when you click that, it'll take you to the individual podcast with all the information relating to that podcast on that one page. So now you have to go to the gallery to look at any extra information I've loaded, but this way it'll keep everything together and be a little more coherent. As I said, we're talking about Kathy Williams this week, and I'll just get into that. Following the end of the Civil War, the U.S. Army passed the Army Reorganization Act of 1866. Part of that act mandated the creation of four additional cavalry units, and it also stipulated that two of those units would be manned by colored soldiers with white officers. In effect, this act led to the creation of the 9th and 10th Cavalry, which later became known as the Buffalo Soldiers. In addition to the cavalry units, the Army formed the 24th, 25th, 38th, 39th, 40th, and 41st Infantry Regiments, colored, although those would all be combined to two regiments later, the 24th and the 25th Infantry Regiment. Roughly 186,000 blacks served in the Union Army during the Civil War. Many citizens along the eastern United States were uncomfortable with so many colored troops under arms walking amongst them. Creating the 9th and 10th Cavalry, then sending those units out west served to ease already frayed tensions in the east and support the expansion of the country into areas many white soldiers were reluctant to go. They would head out west for their own reasons, but in the main, it wasn't a prime destination. Life out west was far from glamorous, and it was always fraught with hidden dangers, even for soldiers. For blacks, though, it could represent a level of freedom rarely experienced in the heavily populated states. While the army thawed to color troops serving, albeit under the close eyes of white superiors, they strictly forbid women of any color from wearing the Union blue. Kathy Williams sidestepped this role and became the first female Buffalo soldier. Kathy Williams was born in September 1844 in Independence, Missouri. There's not much outside of her birth month and a little bit about her family background that's known today. We know that her mother was a slave, and that made her the property of William Johnson, a wealthy farmer, but her father was actually a free man. She served as a house girl until Union troops came to occupy Jefferson City, Missouri, where the Johnson family had moved. The soldiers, serving under Colonel Benton of the 13th Army Corps, liberated the slaves. In other words, they forced them 
to go to Little Rock, Arkansas as servants to the Army officers. They were considered contraband. During her time as Army contraband with the 8th Indiana Volunteer Infantry Regiment, commanded by William Plummer Benton, Kathy went to New Orleans, Georgia, Virginia, Iowa, and then eventually back to Jefferson Barracks in Missouri, where she stayed until the war ended. After the Army started organizing the new units from the Reorganization Act, Kathy disguised herself as a man and enlisted on 15 November 1866 at St. Louis, Missouri. She was assigned to the 38th U.S. Infantry Unit, commanded by Captain Charles E. Clark, under the name of William Cathy. So she just reversed her first and last names, and voila, she became a man. Her enlistment papers described her as being 5 foot 9 inches tall, black complexioned, with black eyes and black hair. According to an interview that Kathy gave to the St. Louis Daily Times on January 2, 1876, two members of the unit, a cousin and a friend, knew that she was a woman, but they never told on her. While stationed at Jefferson Barracks, Kathy underwent training and she just did typical military duties. There's nothing in particular that stood out in her time there. The 38th Infantry then marched to Fort Riley, Kansas by April 1867, somewhere around there. No date as to when they actually left, but they arrived in April 67 at Fort Riley. On the 10th of April, Kathy had to go to the post hospital for treatment of itch, and that's all that was written, itch. At the time, this would be a common complaint for lice, scabies, eczema, or any other skin condition that anyone had at that time. Within 20 days, records indicate that Kathy was ill and on quarters. She did not return to duty until May 14th. After that, the 38th traveled west again on June 1867 for Fort Harker, Kansas. Then, 536 miles to Fort Union, New Mexico on 20 July 1867. From September 7th to October 1st, the unit marched to Fort Cummings, New Mexico, and they remained there for eight months. The unit was constantly on the move, all the time heading west, protecting settlers, establishing those posts. From September 7th to October 1st, the unit marched to Fort Cummings, New Mexico, and remained there for eight months. Throughout this period, it does not appear that the unit participated in any skirmishes or battles with the native population. There were uh, random attacks of violence, meaning sentries would sometimes be killed with arrows if they were out there alone, or there might be firing into the forts. But for the most part, they did not seem to engage in any ongoing battles or major skirmishes. Very little is known of Kathy's service during this period, as the Army rarely wrote about individual enlisted troops unless they received discipline or performed some exceptional act. As I mentioned, her unit didn't see much action. The best you could ask for was to not be mentioned in any negative way in the dispatches for that unit. The lack 
of reporting on Kathy then implies that she did her job as a soldier and remained free of any disciplinary action. What little knowledge gained about her service actually comes from the medical reports that were filed on her behalf with the Army. On 27 January 1868, Kathy was admitted to the post-hospital for rheumatism, and she was released just three days later. Then, two months later, on 20 March, she returned to the hospital for the same ailment and returned to duty after three days again. So that must have been just a standard time frame they would give you to get over rheumatism or those similar maladies. On June 6th, the 38th then marched to Fort Bayard, New Mexico, and arrived the next day after covering 47 miles between each post. So if you can imagine walking overnight 47 miles. The next month, on July 13th, Kathy had to go back to the hospital. She was now diagnosed with neuralgia. Uh, This was another word that they used to describe any number of maladies. This diagnosis indicated that she had either acute pain caused by a nerve or problems with her nervous system as a whole or any number of diseases that were common at that time. They would use blanket terms for many of these, just like itch. Whatever afflicted Kathy kept her hospitalized for a month. Oddly, no one seemed to discover Private William Kathy was actually a woman in all her medical visits. This brings into question the quality of medical care for enlisted soldiers during the 1800s and might explain why it was necessary for Kathy to seek medical attention so often. If they never diagnosed her injuries or her illnesses properly, because they would have recognized she was a woman right away, most likely she had her clothes on during those investigations into her well-being. So you can kind of draw conclusions that way. Even at the time, that seems a little excessive that they would not have discovered she was a woman with so many hospital visits. She visited four hospitals between 1867 and 1868 on five different occasions. After the last visit, the Army decided Private Cathay was not fit for continued service and gave her a medical discharge on October 14, 1868. Her captain wrote a statement indicating he has been since feeble both physically and mentally, and much of the time quite unfit for duty. The origin of his infirmities is unknown to me. While the surgeon added he is continually on sick report without benefit, he is unable to do military duty. This condition dates prior to enlistment. Kathy clearly had some ongoing medical issues that were not being addressed. Kathy had enlisted with the Army for a three-year stint, and now found herself discharged just short of two years of service. After discharge, Kathy went to Fort Union, New Mexico, and worked as a cook for a colonel's family from 1869 through 1870. Next, she moved to Pueblo, Colorado, and worked as a laundress for a Mr. Dunbar. Leaving the Dunbars, Kathy settled in Trinidad, Colorado, and used the skills that she learned as a laundress in Pueblo and worked as a laundress for the rest of her time. 
she stayed in Trinidad as her final place for the most Around 1889 or 1890, Kathy had to return to the hospital for an unknown illness. She remained there for almost a year and a half. When she was discharged, maybe due to her inability to work or after years of debilitating health, she filed a claim for invalid pension with the government in June 1891. In her claim, submitted to the county of Los Animas, state of Colorado, Kathy explained she contracted smallpox and associated symptoms that led to deafness. One of these things she attributed was having a swim across Rio Grande. Attorneys Charles and William King of Washington, D.C. represented Kathy, but apparently did very little to ensure her claim would go through. The locations, dates, and illnesses she claimed did not match up to Army records. One possibility given by historians is that she was illiterate and may not have known what was written in her records while in the Army or on the claim paperwork her lawyer submitted. Really, she was relying on them to have the right information. Her official records noted Kathy had rheumatism and neuralgia while serving, yet neither symptom was mentioned in her claim. On September 9, 1891, A doctor hired by the Pension Bureau examined Kathy, describing her as 5 foot 7, 160 pounds, large, stout, and 49 years of age. He denied she suffered from any of the mentioned ailments, but did note all the toes on both of her feet were amputated. The Pension Bureau denied her claim in February 1892 and reported the decision to her lawyers in April. To their credit, the lawyers renewed interest in Kathy's case in September and tried to help her get a claim based on disabilities due to frostbite, which would account for her toes being amputated. Once again, the Pension Bureau denied her claim, stating no service-connected disability existed. Some researchers find the Pension Bureau's justification for denying Kathy's claim odd, as it was clear that she had disabilities. One of the five justifications for denying a claim was illegal service, which applied to Kathy, as women were not allowed to enlist in the Army. Speculation is that the Army felt culpable for her ailments, based on the poor treatment she received while as a soldier. Regardless, Records Kathy Williams' life disappears from history at this point. In an unassuming way, she challenged convention and proved to be an equal to the men who served in the 38th beside her. Despite apparent long-term medical issues that plagued her and the double indignity heaped on blacks and women of the time period, she forged her own way ahead. My sources for this episode are Profiles of Bravery, Kathy Williams, that's on the U.S. Army's website, Female Buffalo Soldier, on buffalosoldier.net, the book, Voices of the Buffalo Soldier, Records, Reports, and Recollections, by Frank Schubert, Experience Your America, which is a teacher's guide, actually, put together by the National Park Service, that has information, Incognito in the Infantry. It was an article written 
for the National Endowment for Humanities in their Humanities newsletter, but it is actually online. And Buffalo Soldier Research Museum at buffalosoldierresearchmuseum.org. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I encourage you to see us on our webpage. That's blackvalor.net. You can also find us on Facebook at blackvalor, also on Twitter and Google Plus at BlackValor1010. If you want to send me an email, you can send it to BlackValor1010 at gmail.com. Please leave a review on iTunes or go to the forums on the site. If there's topics you would like to see covered, feel free to leave those there and I'll respond. Thank you.